Today's show is brought to you by Ringer University, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Whether you're a Bruin, a Buckeye, or a Blue Devil, if you like college football, join the Ringer's Ben Glixman, Roger Sherman, and Chris Vernon as they serve up insights, picks, and predictions week to week. Ringer University also features Teed Up, our college basketball podcast, where Mark Titus and Tate Frazier give their expert analysis and keep you up to date on the latest college hoops news. So subscribe and listen to Ringer University, available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Achievement Oriented, <laughs> the Ringer's video game podcast. I am Ben Lindbergh. Yeah. I'm a writer for TheRinger.com. And on the other line, a man you have to listen to Achievement Oriented to yes. hear these days because binge mode is a wrap for now. Sad. Talk the Thrones is a wrap for it's now. It's a wrap. So we have cornered the market on Concepcion on this podcast. Achievement Oriented continues on despite however long Game of Thrones will be off the air. So we have a couple of guests today to get to later in the episode. You actually have to duck out to record the final episode of Binge Mode, which will be out before this podcast is. But Allison Herman, who is now a certified video game expert, is going to rejoin us on this podcast. Just the latest staff member we have converted to the ways of video gaming. She's going to come on to join me to talk to Jesse Cox and Michelle Morrow about their new esports sitcom, which is debuting this week on YouTube Red. It's called Good Game. It's and funny. It's it's a really good show. It's, <laughs> it's actually really, funny. It's, it's genuinely good. I, yeah. I was kind of apprehensive. It's Same. a show about esports. Like, okay, that sounds like it's up my alley, but is this going to be good? But no, it genuinely is. And Jesse and Michelle are obviously part of the esports streaming podcasting world, so they know what they're doing here. And the show was released through the Game Grumps channel and stars the Game Grumps. And yeah, it's genuinely good. And it's a kind of a loving look and also a occasionally critical look at the esports world. But it's just funny. It's it's good TV. So we'll talk about that. And in just a few minutes, we will talk to Josh Sher who is the writer of Uncharted The Lost Legacy and yeah. a veteran of the Uncharted series and Naughty Dog in general. But before we get to Josh, I want to talk to you about video games I played. I just okay. I did some serious Justin Charity level video game <laughs> video gaming this past week. It was like uh, you and I have had some pretty impressive streaks of not playing video games lately. Really impressive. <laughs> Just because I was traveling and you were on the Thrones beat 24-7. We're going to get back to gaming now. And I was able to do that this past weekend. I just, I treated myself. I went on a, a little binge mode of myself tell me, with, tell me about with it. video games. Yeah. So one is, is Uncharted and we'll get to that in just a second. But I also bought a couple $20 games just for, for PS4. I bought Undertale and I got Sonic Mania. And where Undertale is concerned, I'm sure a lot of you are saying, yeah, we know Undertale right. is good. We played it two years ago on PC. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Jason and I are late to there's the just indie so many, of There's the just so world. many games. I know. It, yeah. And if it's not on a console, that gives yeah. me a reason to to put it off. I mean, I, I could have played Undertale on a PC even on my my weak computing power, but I just put it off and I hoped for a console port and they delivered one. 
Speaking of which, Kentucky Route Zero is also getting oh, man, console I, ports this, now. I'm really looking I'm forward to that. I'm extremely excited for. Every game should be on every platform. I agree with that. That's, I, that's my position. My other <laughs> position is that every game that I play right now, I'm like, why isn't this on Switch? Yes, <laughs> that too. <laughs> I think Kentucky Route Zero will be on yes, Switch. Yes, we'll be on Switch. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know about Undertale, it's an RPG. came out in 2015 for PC. It's essentially the product of one developer, Toby Fox. And it's a, you know, fairly bite-sized game. It's maybe six to eight hours, somewhere in that range. And it's, you know, it looks like a, a low budget game kind of in an intentional way. But the hook is that it's just really funny and quirky and it subverts and pokes fun at all of these genre tropes and there are like random encounters but you can just spare your opponent or flee or if you choose to fight the fights are like not your typical turn-based you know cast a spell or something it's like bullet hell kind of mini games where essentially it's it's like an ikaruga style game within a game where the other person is attacking you and you are just dodging projectiles and it's like a very quick reaction kind of thing. It's just, it's a lot of fun. And the writing is great and really clever and it just tells an engaging story. It's sort of like Pyre in a way in that you are banished to this underworld Mm. essentially and you are trying to get back and it's like this monsters versus humans battle. And I think this game made me feel more ashamed of myself than any <laughs> oh, video game I've ever played. This sounds, man, <laughs> Which, this sounds fantastic. Yeah, just because of the way I played it, it, it doesn't have to make you to feel that way. But because you don't really have to kill anyone, you can play it in a pacifist style. If you do kill anyone, like you end up feeling really bad about it, or at least I did. I, I just felt like a worthless piece of humanity by the end of the game, but I really enjoyed it a lot. It's just really just great writing throughout and memorable characters and anyone who hmm. didn't catch it on PC a couple of years ago, I would definitely tell you to check it out now. It's only 20 bucks on PS4. Oh, I can't wait. I am going to play this. Yeah. So the other game I put some time into is Sonic Mania, also 20 bucks on PS4. And this game is interesting because it was kind of the product of like fans and people who had experience porting over old Sonic games and creating Sonic fan games in the vein of the old classic Genesis Sonic games. So it's not exactly a remake of original Sonic games. It's kind of like a remix or remaster. There are some original zones. There are new tweaks to old zones and and lots of kind of fan service stuck in there and, and inside references and everything's been given a facelift and bosses are new and inventive. So it, it feels very much like you're playing old classic Sonic games, but with kind of a new spin. I mean, it's it's definitely extremely faithful to those old games to the extent that the menu includes like a CRT filter <laughs> so you can f- feel like you're playing it uh, on an old tube TV. So... I don't know where you stand on Sonic because I was not really a, no, a Sega kid when Sonic was at its peak. Like, of course, I played Sonic. It was impossible not to play Sonic, whether it was at a friend's house or whatever. But 
mine was a Nintendo household until later on when I got a Dreamcast and fell in love with that system and then went back and got a Genesis and a Saturn and kind of caught up on some of those games. But I didn't have them in the moment, so I didn't really have that extremely strong nostalgia. Like every sound effect, obviously, like losing coins is just it brings back this very visceral flashbacks to that time. But do you have any kind of bond or appreciation I, I for played Sonic, Sonic uh, as everyone did who was alive during that time and enjoyed games mm-hmm. but I was not particularly I was not particularly enamored with Sonic you know f- um, mm-hmm. for platformers at that time you know I was I was a Nintendo guy if I was going to play platformers it was Mario and, and yeah. things of that nature yeah I feel the same way I, I just maybe I'm not playing it right maybe this is the intended effect but I just never feel like I'm completely in control when I'm <laughs> playing Sonic games and like part of that is just the speed yeah. and it's it's trying to provoke that sense that you're barely in control, but you really are barely in control <laughs> during, you know, when Sonic is like zooming super fast across the screen and you almost feel like it's an on rails thing because you, you barely have time to see what's coming. And that can be kind of exhilarating, but I also just feel like, well, I'll just keep going and eventually I'll bounce off something. And that's kind of how I play it. And in the slower portions of the game, the movement is not as precise as you're used to with like Mario or something. So, you know, if you have to like execute these intricate maneuvers, it's just not really built for that to quite the same extent that, that a slower platformer is. So it ends up that I, I feel like there are a lot of semi cheap deaths or maybe I'm just bad at it. I don't know, (laughs) but I, it just never felt intuitive to me in the way that other platformers have. So I, I enjoyed it. The other thing is that they have modernized it to some extent in that if you get a game over, you don't have to restart the game from the beginning, which is nice. But you do have to restart the zone, and the zones have multiple stages and boss so fights. It's super annoying. It really is. And I hate, I, I hate I, that. I, I, I hate that too, and I know that. A lot of people like that yeah. and they feel like it's part of the challenge. I, I was talking to a friend of mine who was playing it at the same time and he said he liked that because he was like on the edge of his seat and he was like standing up and sweating and because you have something right. at stake, you have something to lose. Uh, but to yeah, me, that's like, just not appealing. It's, not, it's certainly not in, in a platformer uh, gameplay style. I, I I mean, we can argue about this. I, I In a in like a dungeon crawler maybe or something like that, I, I might enjoy it more. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's tough, very tough in a platformer for me. Yeah, me too. And you know, you're like 20 minutes into this stage and you get to a yeah. boss fight and the boss fights in some cases are really clever, but in other cases, uh, just at least the first couple times you play them, it, it feels like you almost have yeah. to die and there's some trial and error involved, which is fine, except that if you're going to bounce me back to the beginning of that so, stage, it's just, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's hard especially, to especially in that the thing about, I guess the thing about platforms is there's really not a lot of ways that you can approach the level, you know, you're going in one direction Yeah, and mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you well, now. I'll try this. No, it's not really a lot of things you right. can do. You know, you just got to get the timing better, and that just becomes mm-hmm. extremely frustrating. Yeah, and Sonic's a little more open ended, particularly this game, than just a pure yeah. side scroller because you can go mm-hmm. backwards and you can go different routes through the level. So there is a bit of that, but still, I I just and I know a lot of people are 
thinking, oh, I grew up having to restart right. the game every time. This is this is weak. You're spoiled. And I guess We're I am. Spoiled. But there's a yeah, lot of I, things to do I now. Don't, <laughs> there's a lot of things we could be <laughs> <I know>. doing. <laughs> I know. There are just too many entertainment yeah. options. We're not a captive of the console anymore. So that was frustrating. I mean, it's a really well done recreation and slight modernization of that Sonic formula. So if you have good memories of Genesis Sonic, this is, I think, probably the strongest entry in the Sonic series for quite a long time. Like my first Sonic games that I owned and played were the Sonic mm. Adventure games for Dreamcast, which I liked a lot. And I had just, you know, casually played the Genesis ones. So if you have a deeper bond with the series than I do, you'd probably enjoy this more. Or if you just really like that challenge of just, you know, throwing yourself at the level over yeah. and over and over again until you finally get through it, then you'll like it. It's well done. It's just not quite up my alley to the extent that that some other Same. games are. So the last one that I played is the game that we're about to talk to Josh about, Uncharted, The Lost Legacy. And you and I, big fans of the yes. Uncharted series. If anyone wants our larger thoughts on the series and Uncharted 4, we actually did a podcast about that before we had a podcast. <laughs> we, we had like a pirate radio podcast that we just put on SoundCloud and talked about Star Wars and X-Files and Uncharted. And if you want to go back and listen to that, it's on my SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash It's called the Uncharted Podcast. You can go check it out. But this game... I finished it. It's 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 good. good. It's more uncharted, <laughs> which you know, like it sounds sort of dismissive, but I am happy to play a new uncharted game on an annual basis basically if they want to keep putting one out. Maybe eventually I would get tired of the formula, but I'm not there yet and this started as DLC. It, it turned into a full-fledged game as we're going to talk to Josh about and it stars a, a couple of non-main, non-Drake characters from the Uncharted series. And it's the same gorgeous graphics yes. and climbing and shooting and driving gameplay that you have come to know and love in Uncharted. And I was perfectly happy to it. be back in that world. Yeah, I mean, I've, yeah. I haven't uh, gotten as far as you. I haven't finished it. But yeah, mm -hmm. if, you, if you enjoy that experience... Um, that kind of big screen action experience, cinematic gameplay. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's great. And I missed Nathan briefly, but as soon as you get into the game, you don't. You're just like, yeah, I'm just great to be. Yeah. It's great to be doing this again. Yeah, it's the same style of writing, largely because of Josh and bringing the same writing chops to the series that he brought to Uncharted. And man, it is just such a good looking game. I, I don't know if it's better looking than well, Uncharted 4, but it's, I mean, they're both I wanted just, to, I think wow. it might be something about the color, the, the particular just aesthetic palette. It's a little darker at times. Like, it seems like the contrast is deeper because you start kind of like in the city mm -hmm. and then you move through that and it just feels like, uh, it just, it did feel richer in some ways, like the darks were richer and it made the mm -hmm. colors pop a little bit more. It did. It looked great. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of just like signature moments where I kind of, I find it funny that the game kind of like celebrates its own appearance because there are these moments in yeah, the game where selfish, you just, yeah, you just, well, you get this option to just take a picture of the scenery and there's no like gameplay reason right. to do it. It's just like at various points, 
Chloe, the the main character, will just be like, wow, what a yeah. vista or something. And you can just take a picture on your phone and it doesn't like help you later yeah. or anything. It's just like the game saying, hey, look at how awesome this environment is. Take a moment to appreciate it. We know we made a good looking game. So it's, uh, it's, it's like, you know, the typical Uncharted. I, I know a lot of people feel like almost they're handheld too much in Uncharted. And, and if you feel that way, maybe turn off the, the puzzle tips because they can be a bit intrusive. Like if you fail a puzzle once or twice, it'll basically tell you what to do. So you might not like that. But I, I just feel like I'm constantly propelled through Uncharted games and it's really hard to have a stopping point because it just, you know, once one chapter ends, it just pulls you seamlessly into nice. the next. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. All right. All right, so we will be back in just a second with one of the people responsible for making that game, Josh Sher from Naughty Dog. Nowhere to run. Ah! Oh, shit, no! Back up! Call for power! No! You're late. I thought you were professional. Oh, you should relax. You'll live longer. All right. So for the second consecutive week on this podcast, we are joined by someone who is working on The Last of Us Part 2, but definitely can't talk to us about that yet. <laughs> so we are <laughs> t- talking about something else today, which is fine because we are joined now by Josh Sher, who is a writer at Naughty Dog and has been there for quite a while, more than 15 years now. It worked on the Jack and Daxter series, worked on all of the Uncharted games, and most recently served as the co-writer of Uncharted The Lost Legacy, which we just played and enjoyed. Josh, hello. Hi. How are hey. you guys doing? Great. We're doing well. So I guess the obvious question is you just made an Uncharted game in a year, basically, right? Because <laughs> it was not long ago that we were playing Uncharted 4, and you wrote that one too, and then turned around and now did the writing for this too, or, or a good deal of it. And I'm curious about the process and the turnaround time and just the genesis of deciding to do what I guess was originally intended to be DLC and then turned into its own full-fledged game with Chloe and Nadine. So how did this come together? Yeah, so yeah, we're all still honestly kind of shocked that we turned this around in a year as well. Uh, You know, obviously speaks to the uh, dedication and the talent of the uh, team that we have here, but it definitely wasn't the uh, original intent when we set out to uh, do this, as you uh, (laughs) pointed out. So... (laughs) So this all this all kind of started because, you know, with The Last of Us, we designed and uh, put out uh, some uh, single player uh, story DLC, uh, the uh, Left Behind game, which you know was about like a two to three hour mm-hmm. thing that uh, was a little addendum to the story, sort of filled in Ellie's backstory. You know, seemed like something that was kind of cool, and you know, it got a good, really good response. Yeah. Um, and we decided that uh, we should probably, you know, do the same kind of thing because we knew when we finished Uncharted 4, you know, we have, we have a medium-ish size company, you know, there's a couple hundred people working here, but uh, where The Last of Us Part 2 was in production, like all those people were not going to be ready to immediately roll on to uh, that. So it just made sense to make a small little side project to sort of keep everybody busy, um, you know, keep uh, banging on the engine and our tools, uh, uh, while uh, 
Last of Us 2 was uh, getting going. Uh, so when we announced the uh, multiplayer stuff for uh, Uncharted 4, we also announced that we were going to be doing some uh, single-player DLC. And at the time, we had absolutely no real idea of what it was going to be. Uh, we just were planning it on being something similar to Left Behind, like a little side story that we could easily turn around in a year without you know, an awful lot of stress on the company or you know people or anything else like that. And that, of course, is not exactly what happened <laughs> in, in the <laughs> right. end result. But uh, what, ha- what, what did happen was this. Um, we, when, when Uncharted 4 finishes, uh, and I'm going to try to keep it semi-spoiler-free just in case somebody hasn't actually played it yet, you know, things are wrapped up pretty definitively for uh, Nathan Drake. Like, that yep. was the end of his story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, we just knew right off the bat that we didn't want to do anything with uh, Nathan Drake because, uh, you know, everything that we thought about just seemed uh, superfluous at that point. Uh, you know, Nate and Elena, we've sort of, like, uh, closed the book on that one. Um, and so at this point, you know, having promised to do some uh, single player DLC and not wanting to do something with Nathan Drake. And we also, the other thing we decided that we didn't want to do was to sort of do a, uh, fill in the blanks kind of story in uncharted four, you know, where left behind kind of uses, uh, sort of some missing time from, uh, the last of us to uh, tell a little bit of uh, Ellie's backstory. Mm -hmm. We didn't find a good place to do that in Uncharted 4. Like we didn't want to do like, oh, what was Sam doing with Rafe all that time? Or, you know, oh, what, uh, how did Sullivan get over here? Or all that kind of thing. It didn't seem to fit. It seemed like those little blanks that we left in the Uncharted 4 story just seemed to be left better to the uh, audience to fill in the gaps themselves. Uh, You know, it would seem like too much explanation. And so what that left at that point was a, you know, a, a completely brand new standalone story. And so we first started investigating uh, things just with various and sundry Uncharted characters, like, you know, who might be fun to do a little side story mm-hmm. with. So there are all these things we, that we started exploring, uh, but we sort of were spinning our wheels and, cir- and uh, hitting dead ends and some of the stuff that we were exploring. So we just decided, okay, let's just set all that stuff aside and let's come up with something completely different. Let's talk about Chloe. Because Chloe was, you know, Chloe was a character that, uh, you know, we tried to see if there was a, a space for her on Uncharted 4, but uh, there just really didn't seem to fit. And it wouldn't be anything more than a glorified cameo, which is, you know, never a good mm-hmm. reason to do anything. Um, so we started exploring some uh, possible story ideas with uh, with her. And with our games, we often like to have, uh, you know, a secondary companion character with the, with the main character. Because, you know, somebody to have conversation with, bounce things off of, you know, like provide some uh, interesting rapport yeah and, a lot more uh, work for you that yeah. way yeah exactly then we thought about the possibility of uh, nadine um and nadine seemed interesting because well one uh okay i guess i am getting into spoiler territory with uncharted 4 but uh, she's the uh, she's the only uncharted antagonist that actually uh lives at the end <laughs> of the story uh she is a bit different than some of our other uh antagonist in that she's a very practical and pragmatic and, you know, gets the hell out of there when she realizes that everybody's crazy. And, you know, yeah. she just wants yeah. to, she just wants to, she doesn't want to die. <laughs> she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't, she doesn't have Drake's hero complex. She doesn't have Rafe's inferiority complex. She's just like, I got my money. I'm gone. Bye. And it just seemed like this would be a good combination of uh, oil and water to uh, put together and see how they bounce off each other. Um, but even then uh, when we were, developing uh, story ideas with the two of them uh 
one thing that we just kept on running into over and over again is that, you know, because these are two characters that we don't know that well, um, having anything resembling a character arc or a story arc in the span of uh, two to three hours just seemed less and less plausible the more that we worked on it. Um, in fact, the very first pitch that we came up with that we really liked from start to finish, uh, when we finished it, we realized that if we were to produce it, it would probably be as long as Uncharted 4 <laughs> or close to it anyway. It was That's no be- problem. You can get that out in like a year, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was, gonna, it was basically you're looking at it like this is a 12-hour game. There's, there's, there's no way. There's absolutely no way we can do this in a year. Then uh, uh, Sean Sky, the uh, creative director, he came up with a completely brand new pitch, still starring the two same, same two characters, but substantially shorter. And while the initial pitch uh, had a lot of blanks that uh, needed to be uh, filled in and a lot of uh, sort of unresolved questions, uh, it had a beginning and a middle and an end. And to us, it looked like, all right, yeah, this looks like a like a five hour game that we can do. As it turns out, we were also wrong. <clears throat> As it turns out, we were also wrong about the uh, five hour game part, but. <laughs> Um, these things tend, these tend, these, <laughs> tend, these tend to, uh, yeah. these things tend to expand a little bit, but it gave us a good uh, basis to uh, start from. And once we had that, then we started like trying to like fill in the lore. And, um, what's also interesting is that, uh, initially a lot of the, a lot of the explorations, uh, with, uh, some of the early Sullivan stories and that much longer, uh, Chloe and Nadine story, uh, we were actually looking at, uh, China as the, uh, as the background and, uh, specifically, parts of the Chinese countryside and uh, Hong Kong. Uh, But when the story became more about Chloe and became more about uh, Chloe's uh, background, we realized it just made a hell of a lot more sense to uh, shift the focus from uh, China to uh, India. And um, which is fine, you know, as it turns out, both of them have like some very, you know, spectacular scenery and uh, old uh, buildings that are fun to, you know, explore and jump around and uh, all that kind of stuff. And uh, then that sort of once we once we had the setting and once we had some of the uh, character arcs, we were able to start filling in the blanks as to the uh, the artifact they were looking for, the tusk of Ganesh, uh, and all the various and sundry places they would go in their adventure. But uh, thankfully, again, we have a, a team here that uh, is very dedicated and loves the series. And you know, I mean, who knows if we're ever going to do another Uncharted? So you know, this is really kind of like our uh, last hurrah. And so everybody just really went to town. And um, so this gave us like another chance to like go big, uh, sort of in the style of Uncharted 2. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by the the process of like turning this around so fast. Like um, how exactly did you manage to do that? How like at what point after the Uncharted 4 went gold or the May release of, of the game proper, um, did you guys start hammering away at this? Almost immediately. Wow. Um, I mean, I had been I'd been jotting down ideas uh, for the uh, for the game when it was still a DLC uh, months before we finished Uncharted Four. Just nothing, nothing broad, uh, or rather, sorry, nothing too specific, but mostly just like broad outlines or just ideas and little snippets and things that we could try and do. So I, I was I was thinking about it a lot because I knew we were going to want to hit the ground running on it. Uh, insofar as how long it actually took, uh, it took about two, two and a half months to go from post uncharted four to 
here's a story outline. Let's start making some stuff. Mm. Um, and again, it wasn't, it was, fle- it was fleshed out enough that we knew certain things such as like, okay, we know we want to set this part of it in the, uh, the Western Ghats region of India. So let's have the concept artist start doing some research, uh, pulling some reference images, uh, start trying to uh, come up with some of these things. This is the Hoysala empire. This is what their architecture looked like. Let's have some of the environment artists start uh, prototyping some of these things and see how they can look. And then also very early on, uh, the designers, even when we didn't have specific levels laid out yet or other things, you know, of course, anytime, anytime you finish a game, um, you run out of, you run out of time to do the stuff that you wanted to try. And so a game like uh, lost legacy was sort of another opportunity for the designers to, uh, try to uh, fit in some of their ideas that just didn't fit into uncharted four, whether for uh, space or uh, time purposes. So, um, you know, we knew we wanted to, we knew one of the things we definitely wanted to try to do is to make a much larger, much more open uh, section of the game. And that's what mm-hmm. ultimately became uh, the Western Gaths uh, chapter, chapter four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people started prototyping uh, very early versions of that just to sort of see how it felt to like drive around these spaces and how easy it would be to get lost and uh, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. And then likewise, uh, People had ideas for uh, combat setups that uh, they started trying to uh, implement uh, here and there, and uh, then, um, and then of course the entire uh, set piece at the end uh, of the game, we started trying to uh, plan for that because we knew it was going to be a big uh, technical challenge again. Despite the fact it was kind of a uh, difficult production at the finish, there it wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been. <laughs> How much thought did you obviously when you switch main characters like this and an iconic character like Nathan Drake and Sully and the rest of the cast and crew? How much thought did you give to um, kind of changing the mechanics and or the presentation in a way that simultaneously created a through line with with what's come before, but also um, tried to differentiate it a little bit? Did you did you ever think about doing something like that? We did a little bit, but partially due to the uh, brevity of the uh, production, course, we knew we didn't want to uh, reinvent the wheel in any case. Um, we tried. We tried some things with the uh, climbing mechanics when we were, when we were uh, developing uh, Uncharted Four, uh, trying to uh, mix those up a little bit. Um, and um, ultimately, what ended up in game is uh, what you saw. There was a lot more ideas that we had, but uh, couldn't make them uh, feel good to any degree that we were uh, happy with. Uh, and there was a brief talk about. Excuse me. There was some brief talk about uh, trying to resurrect some of those things, but ultimately, just for the sake of. Uh, Again, getting the thing out the door in a year, mm-hmm. uh, we decided to sort of go with uh, we knew what worked. Um, having said that, though, we uh, this wasn't just a reskin. We did completely redo all of uh, Chloe's uh, animations uh, for her, uh, including all of the uh, combat animations. Like there's not a single thing uh, carried over from uh, Nathan Drake for her. Um, we had to adjust a few things here and there because Chloe's not quite as tall as Nathan Drake, so certain things had to be uh, tweaked and fixed around in all the different uh, combat setups. Um, a lot of the a lot of the animators at first were saying, "Oh, please let it be Sullivan. He's the same height as Drake. We don't have to change that much." I'm like, "Nope, sorry." Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, in terms of uh, in terms of the mechanics, so but we did know that we wanted to try to do something that was uh, uniquely Chloe. Um, and so that's where that's where the lockpick mechanic came from, um, which we hadn't done in the previous games. Uh, just sort of like parlaying off of her um, background as a thief, and trying to come up with interesting ways to use it not only in like uh, various uh, story contexts, but also in uh, 
stealth and uh, open combat context just to sort of see how that felt. Uh, and likewise, we knew uh, Chloe um, <clears throat> wasn't really the type to uh, keep a uh, journal the same way that Drake was. So that's when we sort of uh, came up with the idea of the uh, the cell phone and the uh, and the pictures. And uh, we originally had some uh, thoughts as to how we could incorporate those more into uh, the uh, puzzles, but ultimately, uh, in some cases, those actually made the puzzles considerably more uh, complicated than they need to be. So we just ended up uh, streamlining. Um, and that was a general philosophy on this game in a lot of places. Like if it started to look like it was going to make things complicated, we just streamlined it because we knew we had to get this thing done in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. There's a, a lot of, I noticed or took to be self-referential or, or meta kind of humor in the script, in the dialogue, which I enjoyed. I, there's a line about, uh, I think it's maybe Chloe says, I know Nate pretty well, Sam less so. He just seemed to appear out of thin air which seemed like kind of a reference to how he just sort of popped into the series toward the end. Or there's a, a line that says, uh, just so you know, Nathan Drake is no longer in the picture. You don't have to worry about him. I had my concerns, the other, I think Nadine says, which seemed like maybe a, a reference to the idea that there was going to be another Nathan Drake game somehow and that the Nathan Drake Uncharted games would never end. And <laughs> That's funny. That was actually not the that was actually not the intent oh, from that okay. line. Uh -huh. The funny. intent from that line was to obscure something else. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. Yeah, I see. Uh -huh. Because that line is very specific. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, no, uh, I did try to sprinkle little bits of uh, meta commentary about it here and there because, yeah. and partially, you know, part, some of it some of it is callbacks. I mean, we wanted to try to make this game as standalone as possible, uh, so that uh, players who hadn't played any of the prior Uncharted games could still enjoy the story and sort of get into it. Uh, but you know, for the people who've uh, been with the series for the last decade, you know, we wanted to have like these little shout outs and callbacks to it. Mm -hmm. uh, although I will say, one of the things. Uh, that we did very specifically put in there as a combination of like gameplay improvements and meta commentary was uh, uh, the whole uh, crates. Yes, yes. <laughs> situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We very specifically put two crate puzzles at the very beginning of the game. And then literally there's not another crate puzzle in the entire game. And uh, Navian <laughs> right. even says, how about we avoid crates from now on? Chloe says, fine by me. And then there are no more crate puzzles. And then poor Sam Drake is suggesting uh, Whoops. Poor Sam Drake is suggesting uh, crates later on and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, little, thi little things like that. We do listen to feedback. <laughs> There's also a line that I don't know if it was some kind of meta commentary or not, but I, I interpreted that way. It's an exchange between Chloe and Nadine where one of them says, nice working with a woman for once. And the other one says, not many of us out here, which I took to be a reference to kind of the, the lack of female protagonists in this type of game, the, the action adventure, violent video game. And I, I wonder whether that was freeing it all for you or a, a different you know, a change of pace at all for you. Obviously, there have been female characters, these very particular female characters in earlier Uncharted games, but to have them be the focus of this one must have been a, at least a, a slight adjustment for you. A little bit, yeah. You know, being a uh, being a <laughs> being a guy, obviously, uh, I had yeah. to uh, draw on some uh, additional sources for this stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I mean that uh, that commentary. It was it was partially. I mean. It wasn't wholly intended as a meta commentary, but as more so as it was uh, intended, just like, you know, the fact of uh, Nadine and uh, Chloe's uh, careers. Like, yeah, there's not a lot of women in positions of uh, control and uh, power in their treasure hunting world, just in the same way 
that there aren't in you know a lot of uh, other places out there too. And I mean, I should say, I mean, obviously, I just talked about our uh, development process, but uh, sort of coming up with the idea of doing a story with like uh, two uh, women as the uh, central characters wasn't the sort of the initial intent uh, behind this. But uh, the more we started developing it and the more we realized, you know, this is an opportunity to uh, do something that, uh, you know, isn't done nearly enough. Uh, I mean, obviously, you have other games like uh, Tomb Raider, where you have female protagonists and other games here and there. But there aren't that many with uh, two or or more at the at the forefront. So it seemed like kind of a uh, unique, a unique and a cool opportunity for us to uh, go down that road. And uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, it was definitely a challenge. And it was also a, just a nice change of pace. Um, obviously, uh, Chloe uh, shares a, uh, I was about to say Chloe shares a lot of DNA with Drake, but I don't want to get risque. <laughs> I was going to say uh, Chloe, uh, Chloe definitely has a lot of the same uh, Chloe's, Chloe has a lot of the uh, same uh, traits as uh, Nathan Drake. You know, they okay. both are, they're both kind of uh, quick with a, uh, with a comment and uh, they're both very capable uh, and whatnot. So that's why when we were uh, developing the story, we had to like try to find Chloe's own particular uh, foibles and uh, vulnerabilities and sort of like try to play off uh, some of those to make her a unique person who wasn't just basically the female version of Nathan Drake. Uh, and that was, I think, one of the uh, biggest uh, challenges uh, when sort of developing the story uh, was to sort of dif- was to differentiate her enough so you know she seemed like her own person. And so that's where sort of that's where we brought in the that's where we brought in her backstory. Uh, that's where we brought in her uh, Indian heritage. So again, you know, where Nathan Drake in the first Uncharted game had this uh, personal uh, connection. Uh, with uh, Sir Francis Drake, uh, Chloe has this personal connection uh, with uh, this uh, country, with this artifact, and how that sort of like plays into her usual personality, where you know she'll get into a situation, and if things look too hot, she'll bail. So, and that was kind of like one of the questions that drove our development of the story. Chloe is always the one that gets out when things get too hot. Right. What could cause her? What would make her change her mind? What would make her? put her own life at risk for something, a greater cause than herself. Um, and a lot of the game, uh, just sort of the idea of uh, sacrifice and what you're willing to sacrifice. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talk about in there with her dad and what her dad sacrificed and like what Chloe's not willing to sacrifice compared to her father. A lot of that just uh, drove, uh, a lot of that drove her character and drove the story and the events in the story. Um. So you, uh, how does a writing process go for a project like this? How much um, do you guys basically just sit around and pitch ideas and then um, – or does it work um, the other way where somebody will have like a great idea for a level or great environment and then you'll, you'll write to that? Um, does it come from the story or does it come from the graphics or does it come from you know, someplace else? It comes from every direction simultaneously. And it makes it, it obviously that makes it a bit of a challenge, but uh, it also helps us in our goal. I mean, we we strive to integrate story and gameplay together as seamlessly as humanly possible. And to do that, the writers have to be talking with the designers uh, constantly and vice versa. And, you know, obviously, while we were coming up with a story outline, uh, the uh, designers were coming up with their uh, prototypes and ideas for some of the stuff that they wanted to try to do in their levels. And, you know, when we came out and said, uh, 
we would say like, hey, there's this part in a temple and this thing collapses. And uh, then we would start talking to the designer about like ideas that we could have for that and how that could play into the story, not only just from a gameplay standpoint, but a way to make it interesting uh, thematically as well. So a lot of that early back and forth comes in. But then, you know, sometimes the designer will say, hey, I think it would be really cool if we had this uh, sequence that uh, takes place in an underground cavern. Uh, and we say, okay, well, let's think about this. Is there a place that that fits into the story? And like, oh, we could totally do this section as uh, underground or something. So it's a it's a constant back and forth, and that's what makes the process uh, here uh, very exciting. It's very collaborative. Uh, it's definitely never a case of uh, here's a script, go make this game, because um, one that cuts out a lot of potentially interesting ideas, and uh, two. Um, Story, the story in these games is just as much of an iterative process as the uh, design thing is. Uh, we have an outline and we use it as a going off point, but then it's not like Sean and I then sat down and banged out the entire script. Just moments of banter and personality to uh, sort of help uh, continue the uh, characters uh, push along their uh, story arcs. So one of the things that always sets Uncharted games apart for me is the editing and the pacing and the way the cinematics and the gameplay just seamlessly blend together. And I know that's maybe not something that you're directly responsible for anymore, but you did work on animation and cinematics and mocap up through Uncharted 3. So you must have a lot of insight into that process. And there are a lot of times in the course of an Uncharted game when I'm maybe for a split second, not entirely sure whether I'm controlling the character or watching a cinematic, which I think is a good thing. Those lines just kind of blend. And I'm curious about what role you play in that now. Will you specify as you're writing something, this should come during a cinematic or this should come during an interactive sequence? Or, or how do you decide exactly how that breaks down? Well, I mean, insofar as uh, all that stuff goes, ideally... The player is, uh, as we like to say, on the stick as much as humanly possible. Like, we don't want to take control away mm -hmm. from the player at all unless it's absolutely necessary. So as far as, like, how we break these things down, um, anything that needs to be a very sort of uh, close, personal uh, character moment generally gets saved for a cutscene. Because, obviously, if you're, mm -hmm. like, running around and can climb on things and jump and... Uh, shoot your gun and things like that. That's not when you want Chloe and Nadine to be having a heart-to-heart -heart talk. So anytime we need to get close and personal with the characters, that's generally when uh, we have to like get in and uh, take control away and make it a straight-up cutscene. Yeah. How do you come up with the MacGuffin in each game? Because each game has to have some object that everyone is trying to pursue it can be a an amulet of some sort a statue in this game as you mentioned it's a tusk is there a specific historic object that you are basing these on are you just sort of spitballing and say hey we should have a, a different shaped macguffin this time I, how do you come up with what the object is that everyone is chasing oh i mean that's part of the same kind of organic story process where we're trying to come up with everything like characters and setting and whatnot uh, the setting often will inform it uh, or, you know, if we came up with a MacGuffin first, uh, MacGuffin would probably inform the setting. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's, def it's not necessarily a chicken or the egg thing. Uh, in this particular case, uh, Sean, uh, <clears throat> Sean came up with the idea of uh, the Tusk of Ganesh, which is not an actual thing uh, in terms of it being a physical uh, treasure. Uh, however, uh, he was doing a lot of reading about uh, uh, 
the Hindu religion and a lot of the uh, stories associated with the uh, Hindu gods. And uh, one of the ones that sort of uh, resonated for him was the story of how uh, Ganesh, the uh, elephant god, uh, lost one of his tusks. And mm -hmm. uh, the idea in that story, which I won't necessarily go into so as not to spoil anything in the game, uh, <laughs> provided, the, <clears throat> provided the ineptus for uh, what was going to be the uh, what was going to be the treasure. And he just, we just thought, okay, well, what if this uh, symbolic thing was an actual physical treasure that this society used uh, as kind of a reminder of what it represented? And uh, that sort of was the uh, jumping off point. Mm -hmm. So lastly, you've been working with Naughty Dog for quite a while now. And other than the first Jack and Daxter and the first Uncharted, you've spent that time working on sequels. And I'm curious about whether you enjoy sequels, whether you find them limiting at all from a storytelling perspective or possibly even richer in some ways, because anytime there is a sequel announced, you know, when the news came out that there's a new Uncharted or a new The Last of Us, there would be some segment of the audience, I would say, that say, oh, we don't need another. It's sequelitis. Why can't they make a, you know, some new IP, something original? And I get it. I at this point, I feel like Naughty Dog has kind of earned the benefit of the doubt, and whatever whatever you all feel like making, I am I am happy to play because to this point, I have not been let down. But I am curious about how you approach that personally, or you know, as a company, to the extent that you are involved in determining that direction. I think if we ever felt like we were milking the cow dry, we wouldn't do the sequel. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times. I think sequels are good if there's providing you an opportunity to uh, do something different and say something different, uh, not only from necessarily like a gameplay mechanics perspective, excuse me, from a gameplay mechanics perspective or from a, a story perspective. And that was kind of the thing, like um, before Neil and Bruce started working on what would become the original uh, Last of Us, uh, there was actually some explorations into doing a uh, next generation uh Jack and Daxter game on the uh, PlayStation three oh. and they did explore it. Uh, you know, there's some concept art for it, but the fact of the matter is they just couldn't get excited enough about it to justify putting the entire company and all of our money into uh, doing that again. And, oh. uh, you know, for that particular one as well, like all the ideas and things like they had that they wanted to do to update it, just took it further and further away from what uh, Jack and Daxter was. And at that point sort of, you know, what's the point? Um, so, so for all that stuff, uh, yeah. And then likewise, uh, with, uh, lost legacy, like when we started doing DLC, like we were originally thinking, okay, well maybe we'll just do this little Nathan Drake side story, but we just felt like we had just closed the book so definitively on Nathan Drake at the end of uncharted four that doing anything else felt superfluous. So in order to like, you know, do something that we were all excited about, we really just kind of had to hit the reset button. And that's how we ended up going with uh, Chloe and Nadine. And obviously we hewed uh, fairly closely to uh, the formula that we've established with previous games, but doing it with uh, the brand new characters and the brand new feel as a result and the brand new story and giving us the opportunity to take one more stab with all these mechanics that we've been spending years refining and just sort of try to do the best possible version of everything. I mean, a lot of us were kind of joking uh, particularly about, particularly with the uh, set piece that uh, closes off the game, we were sort of joking that we were basically making uh, Uncharted greatest hits. 
Um, <laughs> but that's really kind of what it was. We really wanted to like uh, do the, go out with a bang, and uh, so that's what uh, got people super excited to uh, turn this uh, rather large game around in, in a year. So as far as that goes, when it comes to sequels like that, I'm definitely excited. And obviously, you know, I know a lot of people feel that way about The Last of Us. Like, you know, it ends so well. Like, what more could you possibly have to say about, you know, these characters? And uh, the answer is, uh, stay tuned. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Well, we wish you the best of luck with that. And you can all go find Uncharted The Last Legacy right now. You can find Josh also on Twitter at Josh Sher, S-C-H-E-R-R. And it has been a pleasure. So thank you very much for coming on, Josh. One thousand unique scans, three hundred fifty thousand two hundred and seven possible attack combos, eight hundred eighty-five billion seven hundred seventy-seven million two hundred thirty-nine thousand three hundred one ways to kill. By the time you learn how to play, you'll already be dead. Not in the game. You'll literally biologically be dead of old age. That's how complicated that game is. Research shows you like it that way. Kill Core. All right, so we're going to bring in Jesse Cox and Michelle Morrow, the co-creators and executive producers of Good Game. Now, just to let you know, we did lose the first few minutes of our conversation with them to distorted audio before we were able to fix things for the rest of the interview. So you'll miss us saying hello to them. I assure you they said hello very enthusiastically and engagingly. We talked briefly about how they have some anxiety about whether the world is ready for an esports sitcom. We talked about how they're trying to balance that sense of authenticity that gamers and esports fans really prize with accessibility to people who are not part of that world and trying to find the humor in esports without mocking it in a mean-spirited way. And it took them some time to shop the show around and pitch it to people. Finally, Dan Harmon, the creator of Community, embraced the idea. And Jesse said, you know, as a lifelong gamer, he wanted a show that felt more real about games than most shows and movies that involve gaming do. You know, where you have characters sitting on the couch twisting controllers around madly because that's how the producers think people play video games without ever having played them themselves. So they wanted that ring of reality to it. And they also wanted to focus on the less glamorous aspects of esports, not the millions of dollars being invested and the people at the very top of the competitive ladder, but the people just trying to break into this world. And lastly, we talked about how they actually built a game for a good game. It's called Kill Core. You just heard a snippet from the show introducing it. And it looks very much like League or Dota, but it's its own original game. And people were telling them, you know, partner with Blizzard, partner with Riot, but they didn't want to do that because they didn't want the show to be about any specific esports community. So they wanted to create their own thing, even though basically building a fake game added a lot of difficulty to the production process. So we're going to bring them in now and we will pick up with another question about how this show got made. So you talked about how this was a process of, of you know, uh, quite a while trying to figure out how to do this and where to do this. So how did you end up at YouTube Red and, and with Game Grumps? Wow. <laughs> it was funny. That was a whirlwind, yeah. Yeah, it was actually uh, after we had had our, our third meeting with Dan over about, I guess it was maybe almost a year period had gone through, maybe eight months had gone by from our first meeting to our last. Uh, but when Jesse and I walked in on the last time, we we're like, hey, we really want to do this. Are you guys down? They said yes. They said they were going to check a couple networks. And they said, do you guys happen to know anybody at YouTube Red? And Jesse was like, in fact, I do. <laughs> so later <laughs> that day at one o'clock, 
we ended up having a meeting at YouTube. And in one day after a year and a half or about a year, uh, it was it was it was done. Everybody was on board. Yeah, they were in immediately. And then we had a show and then it became a very quick turnaround to, okay, well, let's find our stars for this show. Yes. And we sat down because YouTube Red, of course, the way it works is like we want to show off YouTubers. And so we looked at many, many, many YouTubers. Oh, yeah. And we tried to find people that, one, we knew and respected, that we actually thought were funny and that we loved. And we felt would fit well in the show we wanted to, the story we wanted to tell. And at the end of the day, Michelle came up to him and was like, why don't we just ask Danny and Aaron, get the Game Grumps involved? And I was like, they're so busy. There's no way they'll do it. And she just called like, them. I was and they like, were like, hold yes. my drink. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, yeah, okay, we'll do it. Yeah, I just called up Aaron. He was like, he, I think he was in like a hotel room somewhere in Miami or something. He was on tour and I called him. It must have been 11 p.m. at night. And I'm like, look, I have a crazy concept. This, this, is, this is nuts. Jesse and I have been working on this like dogs. We got Dan Harmon and YouTube Red. Would you be interested? Told him the concept um, about, the, about the, the show. And he said, absolutely. There wasn't even there wasn't even a beat of no. And from there on, we we had our team. Yeah, we uh, ended up with an incredible team. It's it's yeah. crazy how it all came together. It's crazy that everyone ended up on the same page and it turned out as awesome as it did. I'm like blown away by how smooth everything went. It was really cool. Yeah. So a thing that fascinates me about YouTube Red generally is that it's taking people who came up in the obviously non-scripted space that is YouTube as a short-form product, and then they're transitioning into a more polished and obviously scripted project. And you guys, it sounds like, obviously conceived this from the beginning as a narrative project, but a lot of the performers you're working with specialize in non-scripted, their own kind of performance. So what was it like working with the Game Grumps guys in that context? It was awesome. You know, they went to acting class. They took it really seriously. They, I think they were taking acting class for somewhere nearly around eight months or so. Um, they just, they really committed themselves to it and they were fantastic. And on top of it, even though they're not traditional Hollywood mainstream sort of guys, I come from the world of Hollywood. So for me, you know, I've been in Hollywood for 17 years. For me, I'm not a YouTuber. So I, I, I did have my own apprehensions about it. I, I, I mean, in all honesty, I did. I was concerned because to me, I thought we're going to cast stars and all of this stuff. These guys, they've been a comedy improv team for a long time. They've, they've been doing improv forever. In fact, I think Danny said his first in, improv class was with Donald Glover. Um, so he'd been doing improv for quite some time. So the two of them, they... It didn't feel like we were working with with people who were fresh off the boat with it. They were they weren't green. They and, and if and any if any time they were, we had such a great director in Danny Jelinek that he he helped he helped them find that. If it, if something felt weird, if like uh like a line that was written that that wasn't quite right, he'd say, "Well, if you if you wouldn't say that in real life, what would you say?" And that helped a lot because it, it made it more real, it made it more true, and we allowed them to improv several scenes. But we also filled so, the cast, too, with, with real actors. I mean, people who have been acting for a long time, uh, like Michael Ornstein, who is in Sons of Anarchy. Um, he's a phenomenal character actor. We were so lucky to get him. He's so funny. Yeah, he's 
<laughs> and, um, you know, and I've been acting for two decades. So um, and Raul uh, Abori and Jade Perkins uh, or Jade Payton, they, the two of them, they they're newer actors, but the two of them are trained. They've been doing this for years and years. Um, so we're really lucky to round out the cast with people who had legitimate acting chops. Mm hmm. And is there a, a mix of people in the production who are well-versed in esports and MOBAs and who are not? Because I, I know that because of the Dan Harmon connection, you have Rick and Morty writers also involved in the show and, and writing the, the first couple episodes. Was everyone kind of part of this world already or did some of the people who are producing the show have to immerse themselves in it in that process also? And has the writing been collaborative or are you doing a lot of ad-libbing? Just how did the scripts come together? Well, the writing in general was super collaborative um, from the get-go. When Sarah and Erica came on, um, it, it, they had their uh, comedy writing skills and we had our esports knowledge and we sort mm -hmm. of combined together to create what I, I think are some really great episodes. The the thing that we needed to focus on was uh, like we talked about at the beginning is that line is walking that line between what is esportsy, yeah. like too much esports right. and too much. Um, I don't want to say comedy because you can never have too much <laughs> of that, but too much uh, what, what the rest of the world assumes esports is. Right. And so I, I think, Sarah and Erica were awesome in that while they aren't like the hardest of hardcore gamers, everyone in their life is. Yeah. And so they have that background and that backbone where they've experienced it and they uh, know what we're talking about and, and they're not like novices about it. They get esports. And so that was that was really cool. And um, even Dan, who who really didn't know, still understands video games. Yeah. And at the end of the day, would play games with us just to learn stuff. Yeah, actually, I'll never forget yeah. watching him play a MOBA for the first time was <laughs> legitimately hilarious. <laughs> we had him over to Jesse's office here and uh, we had Sarah and Erica and Dan to, to teach them what a MOBA was and to teach them what it looked like. And oh, my God, Dan somehow ran his character all the way to the core. And I don't know how he didn't die, but he was dodging the, the towers like nobody else. And Jesse and I were just standing behind him going, holy shit. How he ran are into an enemy base alive? and lived somehow. He lived. I have no idea how. He ran in and then ran back He's out. Unkillable. It He's was unkillable. incredible. It was so funny. And so a lot of that moment is in the character of Lorenzo. So much of the show is real life stuff. It's things that happened to me when I ran a team because the whole premise is people with no money. <laughs> how do you, how do you jump into the esports world? That was me. That's my real life is I was like, how do I make a team on the cheap? Yeah. And, and when we uh, first wrote the, and when we first wrote our treatments, when Je it was just Jesse and I, and we first wrote the treatments, we wrote like three or four of them and we'd sit down and we'd go, okay, here it is. We wrote out episode arcs and everything. And when we brought it to them, they were able to translate that as well and bring that into um, something that they could understand too. So we, that's the line that we were walking and saying, okay, here's, here's really eSports. Here's what we think is comedy. Here's what we think gamers will think is funny. Here's what we think is funny. And then they got to take a look at it too and say, well, this is what, this is, this is the polish that it needs. This is the extra on top of what will make this special. Right. So one thing I really admired about the series is how it's unafraid to confront sort of negative aspects of the gaming community and experience as well as the positive ones <laughs> that bring people together. And I'm especially talking to the second episode 
directly confronts the idea of all the various isms that are floating around gaming and gaming discourse. So I just wanted to ask you guys about how you thought about that going in and how you wanted to tackle it in a way that's real, but still obviously very funny. Oh, yeah. Well, trolling, we we really wanted to tackle that subject because, I mean, we're all trolls a little bit, aren't we? <laughs> like, we all have a little bit of troll in us. But online, sometimes it just goes really crazy. And, and you kind of have to say, sometimes if you're on a team with somebody and they're really good, what do you do? What What's the best way to tackle that scenario? One person's going to be offended. One person is going to laugh it off. One person's going to say, well, what's the greater good? What do we need to win? And so... It's how much you're you're allowing it to slide and not slide. Um, so we really wanted to, we really wanted to tackle toxicity in gaming because, especially with esports, because esports has so much toxicity in general. Because people get salty because they want to win. I know I do. Um, when you want to win, you you get salty. So how do you how do you balance that out? And you know, luckily we had um, Raul Aburi, who's uh, plays Kamal. He's 16. And, uh, you know, for him, it, it was so funny bringing it to life because he he's 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 a little bit more innocent than that. <laughs> he's a so so he, <laughs> one he came hope. to set one day. I'll never forget it. He came to set one day and he had to talk. He had to say cuck a bunch. And he goes, did you guys know what cuck means? <laughs> and we're all like, oh, what have we done? <laughs> like, what have we done? He has <laughs> been on him. Urban Dictionary all night looking at all the different meanings of cuck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we wanted to we just really wanted to show that. Yeah, it's it's about making the show real and you can't make a show about esports and gloss over the fact that the salt does exist. And so it may not even be uh, something that people really, truly believe. People just say things to say them because they're mad they lost. And so they're trying to hurt your feelings mm -hmm. and they say it out of spite, but not because they're like. A terrible person in the show. Kamal's not an evil person. He's just kind of an ass because that's he's a he's one of those gamers where he's just there are a lot of them. Uh, but at the same time, it shows that you know there there's also uh, the overreaction that people can have when they're brought into that world with people who thrive off driving people crazy. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that we definitely wanted to discuss. And I think every episode features some form of like, hey, let's have a discussion about this topic or this topic and um, brings that to light. And that's sort of the idea of the show is we are, we are honoring the community, but at the same time, let's have some discussions about what it is. Let's be real. Mm -hmm. Were there any shows that you were consciously trying to channel or kind of tossing around as you were working on this? We want it to have the feel of show X or show Y. I mean... Yeah, I mean, there were definitely there were there were definitely inspirations. I mean, I'd say like the Bad News Bears was a good a good example of it. Um, Silicon Valley mm -hmm. is a good example of it. Um, you know, and there were just also scenes that were in films and movies and TV shows that, that we that we liked as well. Like for instance, in Swingers, uh, there's the the scene where they're playing ice hockey, and right. it's oh, it's I think it's the Wayne Gretzky one, and right. It's incredible because it's driving the narrative of the scene without focusing on the video game as the video game itself. So it still focuses on it and everybody remembers the scene, but it's not overshadowing what the purpose of the scene was. 
Um, yeah. So the counterpart to the isms question, I think, was also that I think the show does a really great job just in terms of casting, of having the core group be incredibly diverse and represent a lot of different kinds of gamer and a lot of different kinds of people. Um, there's even a comment that one character makes, that, like, I don't want to be on the only team that has multiple girls and very realistically <laughs> confronting that that is a relative rarity. So I was just interested in how you guys both thought about diversity in general and also just how you went about assembling the core cast. Well, I think from the get-go, the writing and the characters didn't hinge on it being a specific person. There was no, well, this person has to be like uh, a white male or this person has Mm -hmm. to be like whatever. It was, let's find the best actor we can find for this character and then change things based on that. Yeah. And um, as far as, you know, that was for, you know, ethnicity, for gender, um, having two women on the team for me personally, was a really big deal. Um, being that I've been uh, a woman in gaming for a good, you know, eight, nine years of my career, um, it it can be tough sometimes. And when when I started to really get into the world of esports, I'll never forget, Jesse and I played a Heroes of the Storm exhibition match for Team Low Expectations. That was our team. Yes. And it was at the YouTube Spaces, actually. And and we played, and it was... I, I had come on last minute. Krendor couldn't make it. So I ended up taking his place last minute. They're like, hey, can you do this? I get up on stage. I'm the only girl on the team. And everybody is totally underestimating. You're like, oh, you're some blonde chick, and you don't know what you're doing, and whatever. But in the end, I was the one who took the dragon she all held the that way middle to lane the end, like a champion. <laughs> yes. It was incredible. I yeah. did it, and I was, you know, and at the end, and, and it's like I'd done it already. But at the end, it was interesting. I had so many men come up to me, and women, but mostly guys, came up to me, and they'd pat me, and they'd go, "Oh my god." great job. Oh my God. Like, like they were shocked or like I was a puppy, like good. You did such a good job. Like that I was getting a treat or something. And I thought, but I'm good at this though. Like, like, why are you, why are you more surprised that I did a good job than Jesse did a good job? Why are you more surprised? Um, Admittedly, I did not do a good job. Let's (laughs) do not go watch that footage. I died quite a bit. Don't go back and watch that. Don't look it up. It was you did great. He played uh, worst one on the team. Don't no, don't go back. Well, you know, and it was that you know that that moment really you know stuck with me. So I wanted to say, not only are we having an esports team, I don't want to have a token girl on a team, just one token girl. Let's put two on. Let's make this about two females. And actually, Ash, the name of my character, is named after my gamer tag. And Sam, the other girl, is named after my cat. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they're they're both two very powerful women. They aren't put in the show to be like we got girls in this show. Mm-mm. It's they're really? legitimate, real characters that, as the series progresses, I think are two of my absolute favorite. Like, Aww. yeah, Thanks, I'm, Jade. I'm, I'm really I mean, Jade is a fantastic She's actress. So good. And uh, Michelle, she's all right. Yeah, she, yeah, that girl. She, she she's okay. okay. She's okay. <laughs> but Jade really blew us away in the audition. The moment she came in, actually, we knew that was our girl. Um, it was it was totally just writing on the wall. You just knew it. Uh, her scene was actually the scene uh, that she auditioned with in the second episode, um, where we talk, where she talks about onions. I don't want to give it away for mm-hmm. some people who haven't seen it, but when she starts talking to Kamal and giving him a hard time and saying, "You smell like onions." You just, um, you just gave it away. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. There it is. But that's the scene that was her her audition scene, and she nailed it. That was the girl that we 
that we created. And we wanted to make a girl, too, that, um, you know, she's a tennis player. And we, we wanted to have a girl join a team that isn't used to playing team sports. She's used to playing. She's used to being an individual. So it's hard for her to get along with everybody else. Uh, where Ash, uh, Ash is used to it. Ash has seen it all. She's been there. She's seen it. She knows the bullshit that she's got to put up with. And she just says, what's worth it? Am I going to freak out about this one thing when I have so much else in the line? Where Sam's character hasn't quite your, le- learned that yet. You know, so there's, there's always, uh, the characters are always very polarizing in, in, in the way they believe, but you can see yourself in all of them. And from the get-go, that was the, one of the very first meetings we ever had when you and I were talking about characters. It was about having two women on the team who were at two different opposite ends of the gaming spectrum yeah. and how they viewed the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. that's one of the big things we focused on as well. Yeah, that yeah, that was. I think we were sitting at like a, a we cafe were in a diner at, at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're sitting uh, sitting there going, "I got to be two girls on this team." So I'm really glad that that was all kept intact and and that everybody was on board with it. I did want to ask about the actual game at the heart of Good Game, which is called Killcore, and which is very funny. And, and people who watch will recognize this game. It, it's a, a takeoff on on MOBAs, on League of Legends, on Dota. But I want to know how you came up with the name, how you came up with the look. Where do the graphics come from? How did Killcore come together? How was it a fever dream? How did we come up with that name, Killcore? I know we were together when it happened. Well, I don't know how. I will tell you how. Oh boy! Because I was hosting Heroes of the Dorm on ESPN two in twenty fifteen, and during that time, people were online freaking out because they're like, "What is going on in ESPN? Why are there video That's games on right. ESPN? What the hell is happening?" And I remember yeah. Michelle Beadle, who is one of the main hosts over at ESPN, she started to follow me, and she was asking me questions on on DM, and she was. I was following her along on her commentary watching it because at first she was a little bit like, sorry, guys, I don't know what's going on on ESPN, like apologizing to the viewers in a way. And then she started to get into it as the commentators, Day9 and Artosis and Tasteless, as, as all of them started to get more and more hyped, she got more and more hyped. And at the very end of it, I remember her last tweet of it was just, kill the core with all exclamation points. <laughs> and I thought, Oh God, Jesse, we have to call it Killcore because at the end of the day, just boil it down. Yeah, that's that's the do. touchdown, yeah. you know. That's the touchdown in the in in gaming for MOBAs. So just Killcore. <laughs> and uh, all the characters in it are just weird mind children that we created. <laughs> We're just like, what would be a weird thing to put in this game? And so yeah, we came up with things like Monster Pope and Double D Rex and I oh rule my- and Buttered Rage and all these dumb characters. We we just sat down for like two weeks and we Jesse had come over, I'd come over and we'd you know, have a little bit of, to drink and, and just kick that's it. That's really what, yeah, that's really, if you want to know why the characters exist, alcohol was in Probably alcohol, yeah, a little bit of that. So we just, ma- we were like, what we wanted to do was make fun of MOBAs because of how ridiculous the characters have become. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to, to celebrate it, but also just joke about it because it, it's silly. Yeah, and so the whole premise is they are all essentially dead MOBA characters, really, <laughs> fighting through hell in order to be redeemed and come back uh, to their own planes of existence. And so they yeah. are trying to be redeemed. That's how you win. Yeah, yeah. And um, It's either redemption or damnation. 
and it's it's so silly. Everyone is a warrior because we figured, <laughs> why not? Um, you're, you're, if, a, you're a warrior warrior or a warrior assassin or a warrior healer. <laughs> right, yeah. At the end of the day, though, you're just a warrior. Everyone's there for bloodshed. <laughs> and uh, we decided to make it as we wanted to make a Mortal Kombat MOBA. Something ultra violent and ultra ridiculous and just. Yeah, originally. <laughs> yeah, make, make the game something. That's where the crazy is. It isn't the show. The show itself isn't the wild stuff. It's the game. The game is where the ludicrous insanity is. Yeah. And it's our characters enjoying playing that is, I think, the funny part. And accepting those characters as just totally okay and normal. Like Sweet Nuts. Yeah. Sweet Nuts is amazing. Yeah. Sweet Nuts is in honor of uh, Danny. Yeah. Our, our our wonderful Alex. So yeah. our mm-hmm. yeah, that was we, his like screen name. We had renamed him because after we found out he, he went by Sweet Nuts, so we were like, oh, perfect. Yeah. So we created perfect this for little, a little imp, little demon imp that uh, you know he he kills you by hugging you and and throwing up rainbows and little hearts come out of his chest, and th- those are the the ways that he attacks. Yeah. So first of all, I like to say the detached retina was my personal favorite among the fake character names. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but also, in addition to this fictional game, you have a sequence of post-credit scenes that appear to be about the game's fictional creator that uh, definitely piqued my interest. So I Who's wanted to ask person? about those very quickly. Uh, um, they will still continue. Uh, I'm sure, as you've seen, it's. Poor Jesse. He goes downhill very quickly. Um, Yeah, we wanted to acknowledge the world of game development as well, but not make it, you know, like an evil game developer in the background. It's like, I'm going to get these guys. Um, It's just a a little extra that we added to the world to show that, like, there's more going on than just the stuff you're seeing with the team. And hopefully in the future, there'll be more. Yeah. But, um, (laughs) yeah, it's it's. It's our homage to uh, game development and how success actually sometimes is really, really stressful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't want you to give anything away about upcoming episodes, but I'm curious if you can say just as a, a last question here, if there's any aspect of esports that you are looking forward to lampooning in upcoming episodes, because in these first couple, you know, we've seen people kind of deriving humor from gamer tags and just from the inherent ridiculousness, I guess, of esports. And I, I say that in a, a very fond, affectionate way, but there are, are ways in which it's, you know, easy to to mock, I suppose. And we talked earlier about kind of finding the right balance there where it's not a, a cruel thing. It's a, a loving thing. But is there anything you can point out to us about aspects of the esports world? I, I guess we haven't seen anything about like investors getting involved in esports or esports it's broadcast. It seems like there's a lot of material still to mine. Well, there's, you know, there, there's, there's so much to, exactly, you're right. There's so much to mine from. And, and it would be in six episodes, it would be so difficult to go through all of those things. Um, but we do cover uh, loyalty with teams. I mean, we, we're talking about a team uh-huh. right now who doesn't have any sponsors. We're currently a team that doesn't have sponsors, that doesn't have money, that doesn't have any success yet. So for Jesse and I, we really wanted to stay true to that and not make them suddenly huge, suddenly important, suddenly famous, uh, because that's not how it works. Um, normally what happens in that scenario was that is a bigger org would try to come and absorb you. Um, they would try to come and buy you at that point and, and take your players um, for their org. And, and that's what a lot of teams 
up and coming want to happen. They they want somebody to buy them out. They want to join a bigger team. So we we play with a little bit of that in this season. And you know, in future seasons, uh, you know, should should we get renewed, uh, that's that's you know a lot more what we tackle. But we do tackle loyalty. We do tackle streaming. We do tackle what it's like to try to get a sponsor. Um, we do tackle what it's like to play in tournaments uh, and, online. And uh, play too much, be too invested. Mm-hmm. We have uh, definitely <laughs> a bit about that in there as well. Yeah. Um, there's even stuff about the actual being in a huge tournament. Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. some some other crazy things that may or may not be Jesse-related that I <laughs> am not going to talk about, Wink. <laughs> So <laughs> tune in. But there is a lot of, uh, to, I mean, to answer your question, there's there's a lot of, of subjects that we tackle in esports. I'm just afraid to uh, to give anything away at this point. But I think in future seasons, we'll be able to do quite a bit more, uh, especially if we get more episodes ordered. And I, I think it goes without saying that we're not afraid to. The second oh, yeah. episode, if anything, proves that we have no fear in jumping headfirst into uh, major topics and issues in gaming in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the first two episodes of Good Game are available now. You can find them via YouTube Red and on the Game Grumps channel. And you, they will be airing, I guess we need new terminology for this, uploading, digitally dropping over the next four weeks on Wednesdays. And there are so many places to find the two of you. Do you want to uh, point people to any particular place or, or channel or social media outlet to find your work? Well, you can just find me across uh, the internet at Michelle Morrow. Michelle is spelled with one L. Blame my mom. Uh, I am not nearly as good as branding. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, my branding is terrible. But at Jesse Cox on Twitter and then uh, Jesse Cox on YouTube is where I'm at. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. And uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, guys, thank you so, so much. much. All right. So thanks again to our guests. Thanks to Allison for filling in. I know you've seen at least some of Good Game and you enjoyed it as much as I did. So go check it out if you haven't yet. And next week, man, Destiny 2 is looming. Get ready to grind. (laughs) I'm ready ready? to to mine materials on Venus again. (laughs) I'm ready to grind out missions. I'm ready. Let's try it. At least for a little while. Thrones ended at the yeah. right time for you. It really did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be back, as always, next week. You've been listening to Achievement Oriented, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs>